0: Well, it's great to be with you, and uh, thank you for this passage, which I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with you. You might need a Bible to hand. If you haven't got one, there will be some, uh, some guidance coming up on the screen uh, with some headings, but you're probably going to need a Bible as well, if you can take one from the pew that's around. Now, I wonder whether you're the sort of person that likes a surprise. Anyone here? I mean, nothing's going to happen, don't worry. But... Uh, <laughs> How many people here, for example, would like, uh, like, you know, if you had a birthday or something and a friend or somebody uh, in your family had arranged a surprise birthday for you and you walked into a room and suddenly, uh, you know, everybody from your past was there uh, and you had this, how many people would like that? How many people would really not like that? Okay. So the word today is for people like me. And uh, those of us who like surprises, we're going to be okay with this. Actually, I was uh, on the web the other day, and uh, I know that you've probably, some of you have got, do please switch your phones on and and tweet uh, remarks from the service. I don't mind about that. But don't go onto Google and put in biggest surprise ever. Because if you put that into Google, uh, you'll come up with a, a video of about 14 minutes' length, uh, and it's about... It's an American uh, I'll tell you about it. I'll spoil, the, spoil it for you if you're going to look at it later. But basically, it's a program in the States called Mobbed uh, from a few years ago, and they use flash mobs uh, of choirs, dancers, etc., to really create a TV show. And it was all created around uh, one poor, unsuspecting uh, person called Nikki. Uh, who was thought she was just going out for a meal with her boyfriend, but it turned out to be her wedding day. And uh, not only was it her wedding day, but it seemed to involve half of Los Angeles as well, with dancing bands and, you know, hundreds of people. And it's all filmed there for you. The biggest surprise ever. Look it up on Google. Well, whether we like surprises or not... God is, as uh, Gerard Hughes in his book, uh, his well known book entitled, is a God of surprises. We've already sung about that with uh, our young people today in that wonderful song. I'm not very good at actually doing actions and words, so I was looking at, I was not thinking about the words, and I was just concentrating on the actions. But as the words were coming up, it reminded me of some of the surprises that we have in the Bible. It's the oldest woman ever, it seems, who gives birth to a nation. It's the exiled murderer who leads God's people into the promised land. It's the shepherd boy, the youngest of them all, who becomes the greatest king. And it's the carpenter's son, does anything good come from Nazareth, who is God's son. So we shouldn't be surprised that the word of God is surprising. Um, Pope Francis said this, and I've got some of that quote, I think, coming up on the screen. He says this, For the word of God is living, and it comes and says what it wants to say, not what I expect it to say or what I hope it to say. The word of God is free, and it comes as a surprise, since our God is the God of surprises. He comes and always does new things. He is newness. The word of God is free and comes as a surprise, since our God is the God of surprises. So it should be no surprise to us that when we come to the teachings of Jesus, we encounter words from Christ himself that should surprise us still. Living words that have the power to turn the world upside down still. And so this morning, I'd like us to focus on Matthew and three surprises from his gospel, and then three challenges that it leaves us with as church today. And the three surprises are not just in this parable, but they're in the three chapters, 18, 19, and 20. So I'm going to look at each one, one surprise in each of those chapters. I'm not going to preach Mike's sermon of two weeks ago, which I think was the, uh, on who is the greatest. Not this Mike. There's a lot of Mikes around. But, uh, yeah, the other Mike, uh, who preached on who is the greatest. But it is the first surprise. All three surprises are linked together, which is why I'm looking at all three briefly. Matthew 18 you know what's going on. The disciples are discussing who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus beckons over a child and gets them to stand in the midst of all of them. Now, let's just pause for a moment. That's really scary for the child. We don't really think about it. But we think, oh, Jesus, it would be lovely for a child to be with Jesus. And it would have been. But, hey, you know, to get a child and beckon them and say, come and stand in the midst of all of us, burly fishermen, tax collectors, you name it, we're all here. Just come and stand in the midst of us. That's quite something, quite intimidating. But the child, obviously, didn't run away. Open, unpretentious, obedient, innocent, accepting, real, the child came and stood in the midst of them. And then Jesus drops the bombshell. He says to all his disciples around, well, actually, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be like this. And this was in an age when the disciples would have looked at that child and thought... Children are like slaves and women. Sorry, slaves and women here today. Children are like slaves and women. Yeah, we we give them away. They're like objects. They're not really of any worth. In fact, a Roman father could sell his son up to three times before that son was free. So they would have looked at the child and they would have thought, but children aren't really worth very much. And, you know, and he says, we've got to be like them dependent, humble, modest, trusting, loving. It would have been a bombshell for them with the attitude towards children that was prevailing during that day. And yet Jesus says, surprise, you've got to be like them. Uh, We have three children. They've all grown up now. No, they haven't, actually. I don't think children ever grow up. They're they're all in their 20s. Um, But I was thinking about this and wondering how many times I must have said, actually, I don't think it was that many. Uh, You can ask Fiona later on. um, Said to them, when I was exasperated with them, and said, oh, for goodness sake, grow up. Made me think. Because Jesus is saying here, that we have got to be like this accepting, obedient, humble child if we're going to get anywhere near the kingdom of God. That's still a surprise for us when we put such a store in growing up. The second surprise is in chapter 19, and it's the rich young man. He had it all. Money, education, status, privilege—he came to Jesus with exactly the right CV to become a disciple. Now, one of the things archdeacons do is we interview lots of people for posts, and we're very, very thrilled to be involved with the interview of your associate Richard, I think it is, who's coming here. That was great. You look at all the CVs, go through the interview process, etc., and you know, and lots of prayer goes on. I know. This rich young man had it all. His CV was impeccable. He was well educated. He was searching for truth. He had money uh, and privilege. And he came come to Jesus with exactly the right pedigree and says to Jesus, look at my CV. Anything missing? Because I, I really want to address it. And you know what happens. In Mark's account... We're told Jesus looked at the young man, and he loved him. That was the first thing that Mark says. He really loved this guy. He loved him. So he said, it's great. You're going to make a fantastic disciple. There's just one thing. Give up your money, because it's becoming an idol to you. And give it to the poor. And then we get one of the saddest verses in the Gospels for me. When the young man heard this, verse 22, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Think of what he could have been. He could have been another Peter. Peter. He could have been actually another John, the one, the disciple that Jesus loved. We're told that Jesus loved this young man. He could have been another one that Jesus loved of the disciples. But we never hear of him again. He's gone. And the disciples were absolutely shocked, more than surprised. You see, when they looked at this young man, they thought he had the perfect CV. He had so much riches because, again, this was the prevailing attitude of the day, he had been blessed by God. He'd had a good education and good background. He had everything because he had received God's blessings. And if he didn't make the great, well, how could they ever? Because they were just poor fishermen, who then can be saved, verse 25. And so Jesus comes in with the second surprise, the shock, which leads us into the parable for today. Many who are first, he says to them, will be last, and many who are last will be first. First. And so we come to the third surprise in chapter 20, and this is the, it comes with the telling of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's probably the biggest surprise of all for us today in our uh, free market economy. How can we make sense of what's going on here? Anyone know what the national uh, minimum living wage is? It's a... Talk to your neighbor, you don't have to shout it out. Um, It's £7.20 per hour um, uh, if you're over 25. Well, I'm just for a moment, because uh, I'm going to do my mental maths. I'm going to make it £8, okay? Let's say it's £8. So, you employ someone for 12 hours, £96. If I get my maths wrong, just shout... (laughs) You employ someone for nine hours in the day, £72. You employ someone for six hours a day, £48. For three hours a day, £24. For one hour a day, £8. Makes perfect sense to us all. Not for Jesus, though. £96 for 12 hours. 96 pounds for nine hours. 96 pounds for six hours. 96 pounds for three hours. 96 pounds for one hour. Put like that, it's shocking, isn't it? I used to be a teacher uh, many, many years ago uh, and taught uh, A-level RE. And whenever we got to this particular parable... They just couldn't get it. It was so tough for kids brought up in our economic system to understand what was going on. How? That's so unfair. 96 pounds for one hour and the other guys at work all day. What a shock. What a surprise for the disciples. Three surprises. Unless you change and become like little children, you're never going to get anywhere near the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. For the last will be first, and the first will be last. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Surprise. So what about the challenges for us today? Well, three challenges, plenty more, but three challenges I'd like us to note for us. Now, it may be that the Spirit will give you one challenge for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ, or as a church together, You might be given two. You might be given all three. I don't mind. But as long as one actually takes root for you. The first challenge is this. What does it really mean to be an inclusive church? What does it really mean to be an inclusive church? Verses 9 through to 12. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the of the day. You know, I often wonder about the thief on the cross uh, as Jesus was being crucified. What do we know about him? Well, he was a robber and a murderer. He, it's even thought he might have killed his own brother. He would have been out in the, it, probably in the desert, one of the desert bandits as well. Lots of different traditions. Matthew, in his gospel, even has the, the thief on the cross Actually, both thieves on the cross insulting Jesus. Then, right at the last, it's only Luke who tells us this. Luke has this thief on the cross right at the last moment saying, Only this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, This man's done nothing wrong. But Jesus turns to Jesus, Remember me when you come. Into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. How unfair. How undeserving. Wonder what the disciples made of that. They had left everything and done nothing wrong for three years. They'd followed Jesus, left their families. Here was this guy, he was the worst of the worst, right at the very last moment, just to save his skin. He says to Jesus, "Okay, Jesus, can you remember me?" I wonder how the church Matthew was writing for felt. It was a church that was uh, had it was Jewish in character and served in probably an urban setting, a fairly wealthy urban setting. They built the church from scratch, modelled it, slaved away. And now new people, these Gentile converts, were coming in. Rather dubious people. Well, what do we do? And what does it mean for us today as the Church of Christ in these days? What does it mean for us to be truly inclusive, open and welcoming to all? You know, my favorite quote from Anecdote to Evidence which is the report a couple of years ago on church attendance in the Church of England. My favorite quote from this was this. Our church does want to grow, but only if all the new people keep everything the same. One hour, three hours, six hours, nine hours, 11 hours whatever hour of the day, are all welcome in our church. There is a big discussion to be held about what it means to be a truly inclusive church. The second challenge is this. What does it mean to have a bias to the poor? A bias to the poor, which is another well-known book by, some of you will know, by David Shepherd. Um, I was at General Synod, along with Philip actually, which is very good to be there with him, uh, in February, and there were two discussions at General Synod that were really interesting. One of them uh, was on evangelism, and Philip North, who used to be the rector of a large inner city church in London, and now the Bishop of Burnley, in the context of evangelism, he said something which made me uh, sit up, uh, because it mentioned a church in my archdeaconry. He said, The battle for the Christian soul for this nation will not be won or lost in Kensington or Cobham or Harrogate, or should I say Claygate. A church that abandons the poor abandons God. What he went on to say was... Quite significant. Nationally, the Church of England, he said, spends £7.87 per head on ministry. This rises to £23.88 per head in rural regions. But on city estates, it's only £5.07. Bishop North said the conclusion is an obvious one. We are all leaders of a church that has taken a preferential option for the rich. We then went on to discuss the sanctions debate, Uh, and I felt completely out of my depth, because sanctions for me meant something to do with South Africa and, you know, back in the history. But the sanctions debate, I soon soon learned from my colleagues up north, is a very real debate for those who are suffering in our inner cities and areas where there is a huge degree of poverty, where welfare... cuts and uh, allowances for those who are seeking jobs are now actually subject to sanctions. Look it up, if you don't know anything about it, but certainly from Guilford Diocese, it doesn't seem to be a major issue for us. And yet in many places in our country, it's absolutely crucial what's happening to those who are the weakest, those who are poor, those who have very little. You know, our gospel is good news to the poor. Blessed are the poor, filling the hungry with good things, sending the rich away. It's not just spiritual poverty that Jesus is talking about. You know, one of the most surprising aspects of this parable is the way that the owner of the vineyard really cared for those who were in need. He was out there first thing in the morning recruiting the unemployed. He searched throughout the day going back for those who needed a job. He gave generously to meet the needs of all he came across. It's a challenge, isn't it, to us as the church to be proactive. We sing about to seek and save the lost. Do we seek to save the poor. The last challenge, the third, that I'd like to bring our attention to this morning is a real challenge to all of us in busy Surrey churches. And it's that of amazing grace. Amazing grace. Verse 13. Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Do we really get the heart of this parable with our work ethic? which very often is at the heart of our parishes and churches and dioceses. This is all about God's overwhelming generosity. It's nothing about our own work for the sake of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how many years we've been a Christian... How many PCCs we've been on, how many alpha courses we've run, how many sermons we've preached, etc., etc. Doesn't matter how busy we've been for the church. None of this matters in the end. What matters is God's amazing grace and His generosity we will never be able to work our way into God's kingdom. We can only accept his overwhelming love and gift. So three challenges for us to take away, to pray over, chew over, let the Spirit do what the Spirit would do with us. An inclusive church, a church that seeks out the poor, and a church that relies wholly on God's amazing grace. May the Lord bless you here richly at Claygate as you seek to serve him. In the name of Christ, amen.